0: Welcome once again. Want to welcome you back to your seats as everybody gets positioned. Love to introduce our guest speaker for this morning. So you know, Pastor Ross knew in advance, of course, that he would be out, and so he wanted to line up uh, speakers that would just uh, serve the rock well, and he's done that. So Dr. David, a little bit about him. Um, you, you guys remember Dr. Uh, Don Sunuchian um, that came from Biola, and uh, he's taught here a couple of times. He recommended, highly recommended Dr. David Talley to come and join us, and so he's here this morning. He is the chair of the Old Testament department at Biola down in Southern California, and he's here today with his wonderful wife, Joni, and they were able to use uh, the weekend to get away and have a little time of refreshing and come and refresh us as well. So let's welcome him up here as he blesses us with the word.
1: Thanks so much. It really is good for us to be here. My wife's sitting right down here. And we're so glad to just be able to be up in this part of California. We're down in Southern California. And so it's good to see a different part of what California is. California's huge. And there's a lot that goes on in California. But we've, been, we've just experienced your hospitality. And it's been a wonderful few days. We came up here Friday afternoon. And we've been able to go to Sonoma Lake and what was the name of that? Gardens, the gardens at some winery, Fernando, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Beautiful gardens. I'm, I'm an out-of-towner, so I'm allowed to butcher those things. But we, we just thank you, each one, uh, for having us here. And so it was just, I think, last weekend that I got an email Don Sanukian was responding to your pastor and said something like, I can't come, but I recommend that you invite David Talley. And so I saw that and I already began to just seek the Lord. What would you have me to speak on if this were to open up? And the Lord kept leading me to Matthew 26. And so I felt like, well, if I hear from your pastor and he invites me, I'm going to Matthew 26. And so a few days later, I heard back from your pastor, or maybe a day later, I can't remember, and he said, ah, David, thinks I'm so glad we got connected, but things are good for Sunday. Uh, Maybe in the future we'll have you come up. And I thought, well, okay, that's no problem. And then I heard from him, I think, a day later, and said, "Uh, you know, David, we've been thinking about it, and we actually would like for you to come up um, on this Sunday. And I said, all right. And so back in my mind, Matthew 26 is where we're going to be going. And so I said, what have you guys been preaching on? And so he said, book of Mark. And just this past week, I did the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, guess where I was looking at in Matthew 26? (laughs) It was the Garden of Gethsemane. So I said, all right, well, I must have been led in the wrong direction with that. I'll seek the Lord again and see what he would have for me. I got onto the church website. Just wanted to get to know you a little bit better. By the way, it just seems like God's doing wonderful things here. And just was looking around, and I said, well, I'll listen to a sermon. So I listened to a sermon, and when I got done, I felt like, you know what, I I still think there's room in the Garden of Gethsemane story for me to go back. And, of course, I'm in Matthew, and so I said, well, maybe I'll just do Mark. I said, no, I'm going to do Matthew. And so then I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's suicide. You don't do that. You don't go into a church and then preach part two of where their pastor was the week before. Certainly the Lord must have something else in store. And I kept going to Matthew 26. So finally, I said to your pastor and the other people that were on the email, I feel led to go to Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would open up to Matthew 26, that's where we're going this morning. I don't know why, um, but I believe fully that the Lord has more from this particular part of Jesus's life that he wants to bring into your life today. I, f- I feel that strongly. And so I've called it even Watch and Pray Part Two, because last week's message was Watch and Pray. So this is part two. The, the subtitle that I would put on this is Guarding Your Heart by Praying. And I call that the quality of preparation. We we need to be a people who are prepared to engage the life that God has called us to live. So let me read Matthew 26. And then I want to pray that God would use this time. And then we'll walk our way through this passage. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body's weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's pray. Lord, you've, you've led us to this moment. And last week was Watch and Pray, and this week's Watch and Pray 2. Lord, we believe that you have ordained this moment. And you have brought me here to open up Matthew 26, and you seek to feed your people here. So Lord, by faith, we're going to launch into this passage. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in each one of our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would... Lead us to the truths that we need so desperately to live faithfully in carrying out your call in our lives. So Lord, please guide us in this time. Your word is alive and powerful, and we pray that you would make it alive and powerful in each of our hearts today. So we give this time to you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to begin by telling you a story if you're not a sports fan, may not connect with you, but I still want you to get the point. There's another baseball team down south and it's, in, it's called the Los Angeles Angels. There's two of them down there, just to let you know. You know, I found out about the rivalry when I first moved here and I, my son played for the Dodgers and we came up to Lake Tahoe and I wore my Dodgers hat and I never felt so dissed in my life. I thought, what in the world? Anyway, so I know there's a team down there, the Los Angeles Angels, and a guy by the name of Josh Hamilton played for the Rangers, played for the Angels. I think he went back to the Rangers. He's a Christian, great athlete, but he had battles with drugs that brought a lot of problems into his career playing baseball. A number of times where he ended up in a place where he had to take a break from baseball. During one of those times, after he had fallen back into drugs, a sports reporter was actually interviewing him and he asked him a question and I want us to focus on Hamilton's answer. He said something like this, Josh, what happened that night that led to your failure? What happened that night? And I'll never forget what Hamilton's response was. He said something like this, it's never what happened that night. You always have to back up. And in my case, you have to back up to the weeks before that night. And that's where you eventually get your answer. It's not about that night. And I think that there's something really true about that. When we find ourselves saying things, doing things that we, you know, in our better moments would not find ourselves saying or doing or saying or doing things that we would never desire ourselves to say or do, it's not just because of the heat of the moment. It's not just because we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's not just because it just slipped out of my mouth there are things that we are cultivating in our hearts, even right now, that are one day gonna find the light of day. And so the question for us becomes, it's not that moment in our lives either. We've gotta back up and we've gotta ask ourselves, what are we cultivating in our hearts right now that might find that light of day one day in our lives? And so in this particular passage, Jesus notes And actually forewarns to the disciples that there is something, there's an event that's about to happen for them. And what he does is he calls them to prayer. Watch and pray is what it says there in verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. And so as we just think about the time that we're gonna be spending together this morning, what we're gonna find is you've got this time of intimacy with the disciples. Jesus said, I long to spend this time with you. Talking about the Passover, the last supper together, long for this time. And that special intimate moment is soon gonna be betrayed by disloyalty, by cowardice. They walk away from their savior But here's the point that we want to look at as we walk our way through this story. Prayer is the necessary preparation. And I want to call that in the calm of life. It's the necessary preparation in the calm of life before we engage that storm or the battles of life. And we find with the disciples, because they failed to pray, guarding their hearts, They didn't cultivate in in their lives a dependency on the the Father. Because they failed to do that, they failed in being faithful too. So if we back the story up, we're going to ask ourselves the question, what could have been the outcome had they cultivated that heart of prayer in their life? And so in this passage, I hope that we will bring that out. There's going to be three movements, three points that I want to make today. And so what we're going to do, if you just think about it simply, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the events preceding the Garden of Gethsemane and then actually what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane and then what happens after the Garden of Gethsemane. So we want to begin back here. What precedes it? Here's the point. If we were to put a point on this, it's the vulnerability of the disciples, in verses 20 to 35, we see the vulnerability of the disciples. So these are the events leading up to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to call them to prayer. So what happens in these verses is Jesus is making it very clear to the disciples, you are all, every one of you, vulnerable to fall. Every one of you are vulnerable to walk away. You're vulnerable to get off the course of God's will for your life. You are vulnerable for all of these things. And he makes three predictions very clearly in verses 20 to 25. And I think your pastor went through all of this last week. In verses 20 to 25, it's when Jesus says, as the 12 are sitting there in this intimate moment, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And then Jesus follows that up with verses 31 and 32. When you get over to those verses, he makes it very clear that they're gonna gonna fall away from him. All all the disciples are eventually going to fall away. And he quotes this verse, I will strike the shepherd, the shepherd of the flock will be scattered. They're all gonna fall away. And then he makes a third prediction. He says, Peter, you know, you're gonna deny that you know me three times. They've been doing life together for three years. Imagine how unthinkable that is for Peter. You're going to deny three times that you know me. So the vulnerability of the disciples, Jesus is making it very clear. Listen, guys, you're the best of the best. You're the 12. You're the ones I've chosen. You've walked with me. And I want you to know you're vulnerable. You are vulnerable. Now, here's the problem, though. The disciples minimize. They ignore Jesus' forewarning that they are vulnerable. We see it, especially in Peter's affirmation, verse 35. So Jesus says, you're all gonna fall away. Peter, you're gonna deny that you know me three times. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Luke adds, to prison, to death. I will never. Now, do you think Peter felt that deeply? Well, I do. I think he really believed that. But notice Jesus' forewarning you're vulnerable, Peter. And not only was Peter committed in that kind of way, Peter's oftentimes the spokesperson, but look at the end of verse 35 and all the other disciples said the same thing never. Lord, never, not me, never. That's not gonna happen. We've been through it. We've walked down the dusty roads together. We've done life together. We've seen you raise the dead. We've seen you clear, uh, uh, heal leprosy. We've seen all of this. No, we're not gonna walk. You are life. You are the Messiah. They know that. Now, we've got a theological issue here with where I wanna go. And the theological is this. Jesus says, you are going to do this. So guess what's going to happen? They are going to do it. And Jesus is not going to, you know, give out some kind of falsehood. So why even think about what they could have done to guard their hearts? I'll tell you why we're going to think about what they could have done to guard their hearts. It's because of what Jesus says to them in verse 42 or 41. Watch and pray so that... You might not enter temptation. So, I want us to put aside for a moment that Jesus said they are going to do it, therefore they will. And I want us to think in terms of what Jesus is calling them to so that they won't do what they're about to do. So, as we think about this, this is what I want us to really focus in on. Now, before we do that with them, I want us to step back and think about our own lives for just a moment. What, what do we see so far? Jesus says, You're all vulnerable. You're all vulnerable. I want you to watch out. So let's step back. Jesus would want to say that to us today too. And maybe we're like Peter. Maybe we're like the disciples. Never would I disown the Lord. Never would I allow my heart to go in that direction. Or maybe we hear of someone else's sin out there. Never would I do that. That's not me. I'm not going to do that. We all need to recognize our own vulnerability as well. There's nothing that is beyond you. There's no word being spoken that's beyond you or action being committed that's beyond you. We are all vulnerable to walking away from the Lord and it's not gonna be the heat of the moment or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. We're vulnerable. We're either cultivating sins or we're praying against sins. We're either engaging the battle or we're giving into it but no one is neutral. And so in the same way Jesus has said to the disciples, you are vulnerable, in that same way, I want us to now step back and say, well, what does God's word say to us? And there are a number of passages that we could look at for what God has to say to us about our own vulnerability. But let's just focus in on 1 Peter chapter, or let's look at the book of 1 Peter. We're gonna go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want us to think in terms of our own vulnerability. What does God's Word say to us? First Peter chapter one. Let's read through verses 13 through 16. Look at verse 13. "Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he has called you is holy, so be you holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, notice what Peter's saying. Peter's writing to believers like us. And he's saying, as obedient children, don't be conformed to those evil desires you had when you lived in your ignorance. Now, why would he be warning them about conforming to evil desires that were a part of their life before they came to Jesus because they're vulnerable to that. Peter says you've been saved out of that and don't you be conformed to that again. You are vulnerable to do that. Let's go further into the letter in verses 11 and 12 of chapter two. Chapter two, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. Notice this, which wage war, which war against your soul. These things war against your soul. Peter's saying, listen, you believers who are scattered, the church had been dispersed and Peter's writing this letter so that it gets out to the various people. He says, listen, you be careful. I'm urging you. He uses that term of endearment. Dear friends, I'm urging you, abstain from sinful sinful desires. They are waging war against you. What is Peter saying to them? He's saying, you're vulnerable. You are vulnerable, people. Be aware. Be on the alert. Let's look at one more passage in 1 Peter. Turn over to chapter 5. It doesn't get any clearer than this. Chapter five, verse eight, we go all the way back to verse six, but let's focus on verse eight. Be self-controlled and alert. Why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He says, listen, church, you need to be aware of this. This is not going to be an easy ride. This is not a walk in the park. There is an enemy, an antichrist, an adversary, one who opposes those who choose to follow Jesus. He's not neutral. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, let's hear this message. What is this message for us today? Satan is seeking to devour you. None of you are exempt from that. Satan seeks to devour you. Now, maybe some of you are living like you've already been devoured and his his attention is not on you. But perhaps you're trying to stay the course. You're trying to keep your hands on the plow and you want to remain faithful. You're vulnerable. Why? Because Satan seeks to devour you. And so... Peter in his letter, even as he writes great theology, lots of good, solid doctrinal foundation. But he's saying to the people, you're vulnerable, be careful. In light of the Satan prowling like a roaring lion, let's look quickly at Ephesians chapter six, in verses 10 through 12. You're familiar with this passage, probably to some degree about the armor of God. But Paul really drives this home to the church at Ephesus where he says to the people there, Church of Ephesus, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's smart. He's after you. He's scheming. He's trying to trip you up. He's trying to take you down. He wants to devour you. For our battle Verse 11, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Wanted to be able to stand firm. And so Paul's writing to them saying, I want you to be able to stand firm too, but you gotta be aware you're vulnerable. You're up against someone who wants to take you down, someone who's scheming against you. And we could continue to go through the New Testament and find passage after passage that would say to each one of us, you're on shaky ground. In fact, what it says in 1 Corinthians 10 12 is really important for us to hear. It says, if you think you're standing firm, take heed lest what you fall. You think you're standing firm, take heed lest you fall. And you pull all that together, and the the scriptures are trying to tell us, listen, we're all vulnerable. And I don't think I have to do any convincing to you, probably. You probably know your vulnerability. What I'm trying to do is awaken you to the fight. We all know what it's like to walk away from the Lord. We know it's like to worship in church and walk out of here, and all of a sudden our mind begins to drift or our feet takes us to sinful places. We know what that's like. We know the battle that we're up against. I want us to engage the battle in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the vulnerability of the disciples. Now, when we get to verses 36 to 46, now we're actually in the garden of Gethsemane. It says in verse 36, didn't Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane? This is the garden That's there, And what I want us to see in this particular part of the story, now we're right in the garden, is Jesus's strategy to prepare for vulnerable moments. In other words, he's told them they're vulnerable and now he's gonna give them a strategy to prepare for it because of what is about to happen. Those vulnerable moments that are gonna loom after they get out of the garden. And so we know that these situations await them. Jesus has already said, betrayal, denial, and you're all gonna be scattered. That's coming up. Now, what is Jesus going to tell them to do to prepare for this? And what I want us to do in this garden is contrast what Jesus does to prepare versus what the disciples do to prepare. Because I want us to walk into the humanness of Jesus right now. Now, Jesus's mission is clear. When he's born, Matthew, all the gospels make it very clear. Call his name Jesus. Why? He's going to save his people from their sins. That's who he is. And that's what he's going to do. And throughout the gospels, we see it very clear. Came to seek and to save that which was lost, to give his life, a ransom for many. That's his mission. But how is he going to do that? It's going to be the cross. It's going to be to live a sinless life and then offer himself up on the cross. And that awaits Jesus. Is Jesus in a vulnerable moment? Does Jesus have a vulnerability that's looming out there in front of him? Well, let's just read what the Bible says. Verse 37 Second part of verse 37, it says, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Why is that? Because he knows what's looming in front of him. What does it say in verse 38? He says to the disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Is Jesus feeling it? You better believe he's filling it. Verse 39, he prays to the Father. My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. And throughout the Old Testament, the cup is the outpouring of God's wrath. And that's what Jesus is going to drink deeply of on the cross. He's going to be separated from his Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me and the wrath of God is gonna be poured out on him and he's gonna suffer and die in our place. And he's saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Is there another way? Verse 42, he prays it again. My father, if, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. I want you to see the vulnerability of Jesus here. Jesus' response is not coming out of the Passover and Lord's Supper. Hey guys, come on. Let me tell you what's about to happen. I'm gonna fall in the hands of sinful men, go to the cross, die, buried three days, rise again. I got this. That's not Jesus' response. Let's go do this thing. I got it. I'm on track, no falling on my part, I know my course, I'm gonna... No, there's none of that with Jesus. You've got to walk into the Garden of Gethsemane and see that Jesus is very aware that something is about to happen and he wants to be prepared for that. You with me on this? He wants to be faithful. He's fully God and he's fully human. He knows what's about to happen to him. And when you read the verses that follow, There's not hardly any of us in this room that could find ourselves even thinking the possibility of going through what Jesus went through. He's aware of all of that and he wants to be prepared for all of that. So what does Jesus do to prepare? That's not a trick question. Very simple what Jesus does. In verse 39, he tells them, going a little further, fell on his face to the ground and he prayed. What does it happen in verse 42? He went away a second time and he prayed. Then in verse 44, he goes away a third time to pray, saying the same thing. Let's look at the strategy of Jesus. The biggest moment of his life is about to come. And what is Jesus doing? He is on his knees before the Father and he's entrusting himself to him knowing this vulnerable moment that is about to happen for him. What do the disciples do? That's not a trick question either. Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And then we see in verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. In verse 45, then he returned to his disciples and said, are you still Sleeping. See the contrast? Jesus is on his knees. He's pouring out his heart to his Father. He knows what awaits him. He wants to be faithful to the very end. The disciples have been forewarned in their arrogance. Never would I disown you, Lord, to prison, to death. I'll die for you. And as their vulnerable moment is about to come upon them, they are sleeping. Here's what the Expositor's Bible Commentary says. It says, The sleepers for whom he would die have lost their opportunity to gain strength through prayer. By contrast, Jesus has prayed in agony, but now rises with poise in advances to meet his betrayer. So devil's out there. He's prowling. The devil's out there. He's scheming. And when we rise... And face him What is the condition of our heart In that moment What we see in the scene that follow Or the scenes that follow Is that Jesus is in fact Prepared Jesus does in fact Fulfill his mission And is faithful to the very end And when you contrast it with the disciples They fall away They give in to all their temptations Their vulnerability wins the day Because they were sleeping and so again, I pull back from this and I say, prayer is the necessary preparation in the calm before the battle that's raging out there, before we actually engage that battle, the storm, so that we can be prepared for that moment. And so what does it mean for the disciples to guard their hearts here? What means to, to live like Jesus? Well, what does it mean for us to prepare our hearts here? What means for us to live like Jesus? Jesus. My dad passed away in January and my dad served in Vietnam back in, I think, 66, 67. And he had a journal. We all knew about the journal and he never would give us the journal so that we could read it. And when I was back looking through his things, I saw the journal. I threw it into my briefcase and kept it a secret. Family, hey, has anybody found the journal yet? Anybody know where the journal is? And I just kept silent. I had the journal. And here's why I kept it, kept silent because my dad never wanted us to read it. And so I went out fishing with my older brother and I said, hey, I found the journal. And I said, what do you think we should do? Should we read it? Should we burn it? Do we honor my dad's wishes? What do we do? And he says, I say we read it. And so he's the older brother. We decided to go older, uh, older, middle, and then younger. I'm the middle child, so it's been recently given to me. And let me tell you why we chose to read it. It's because Vietnam took something from my dad. And we wanted to learn what that was. We wanted to walk into that life that he experienced there for a year. More than anything, my mom lost something from Vietnam. War is hard. Those of you who have served our country, thank you so much uh, for doing that. But I began to work my way through the journal and I wanna bring out just one aspect of it. I mean, my dad's gonna be gone for a year. Wife and three boys. And so as he begins to, to work through some of the daily life of Vietnam, I can see popping up on a regular occasion the way guys are numbing the pain of war, two things that they often did, alcohol, drugs, and prostitutes, all to numb the pain of war. And my dad's watching all this going around and, and you can see the agony in his heart of just, just the, 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 the struggles that he was having, wanting to numb his own pain as well. And over and over, I see my dad writing this I need to pray. I need to find time for prayer. And repeatedly, he's going back to prayer. Why? Because my dad understands his vulnerabilities. He understands that there's a battle out there, and every time they get R&R, they go to Saigon, wherever they're gonna go, every time he goes there, he understands that there are lusts out there that wage war against his soul, that Satan is prowling, looking for someone to devour, that there are schemes that Satan is working out, and my dad wants to be prepared for that. I gotta have prayer, gotta spend time with the Lord. What is my dad saying? I gotta be prepared for the fight. I know I'm weak. Jesus' strategy with the disciples points us in that direction. The battle is out there. It's guaranteed for all of us. You might be in that battle right now, but it's out there and we're up against it. And we've got to take the time to pray. I I love what Hebrews 4 says in light of this. Hebrews 4 is just exalting Jesus all the way through the book. Just an amazing book. But listen, be, just be reminded of these words. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Don't walk away. Don't get off track. Stay firm. Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding. He goes on. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. But... We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. We've got our vulnerabilities. We've got to bring that to the Lord. Whatever it is that you might be going through even right now, maybe you're just in the depths of sin. You've lost the battle. You feel like you're just giving in. your vulnerabilities have enveloped you and you've lost you've got a sympathetic high priest. And you can go to that sympathetic high priest. He's been tempted every way, just as you. And you can bring that to him. And you've got a listening ear. In fact, before you even go to him, you've got an advocate before the Father. And he's already bringing you before the Father. And so... Even if we're in it, we can go to him. But if we're not in that storm right now, how do we prepare ourselves? Because we are vulnerable. Any one of us could find ourselves going in directions that we don't wanna go. We pray, we come before the Lord. And so are we seizing those opportunities? If you're like so many people in the church today, you struggle with prayer. You do, you understand the need for it, but it doesn't mean you do it. And this passage needs to be sobering for us because as we walk out into life, we will be confronted with the battle. The question is whether we're prepared or not. I wish I prayed more, I wish I spent more time, then do it. Because that's the preparation in the calm for the storm that awaits every single one of us. Well, what's the proof of that? Well, we just stick with our story here. We contrasted Jesus, we contrasted disciples. Jesus is praying, getting ready to drink his cup. The disciples are sleeping and they're gonna fall apart. So in verses 46 to 75, the end of this story, we see what I would call the consequences of prayerlessness. They've been forewarned, their vulnerabilities, they're sleeping, they're not listening to Jesus' strategy to pray. And so now we see the consequences of prayerlessness. What happens after the garden? Verse 45, Jesus says, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. It's time. The son of man is to be betrayed at the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go from here. Here comes my betrayer. And so Jesus encounters that moment. And what do we have in the verses that follow? In verses 46 to 50, what happens? Of course, Judas is not in the garden being called to pray. He's already left. But what happens? Judas betrays him. And then we've got this violence by the sword. The enemy comes on when i grabs her sword. I mean, I don't think that's being ready. It's not being ready in the way that Jesus wanted them to be ready. Then at the end of verse 56, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. That moment of intimacy has truly turned in to the moment of disloyalty and cowardice. They flee. The ones who said, never, They're gone. They're gone. They're all hiding out. And then Peter, who said to prison, to death, I would never disown you, Jesus. What happens in verses 69 to 75, Peter denies three times that he knows him. Just hours after Jesus had warned him. Please, this is not a week. This is not three months. This is within hours of Jesus warning him about this. Martin Luther King Jr., we're about to observe the 50th anniversary of his death, April 4th, 1968. In in his last speech that he gave before he was assassinated, he wrote these words. I think they're important for us today. He said this, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at at times of challenge and controversy. In other words, the measure of you as a Christian, if we can just apply this, the measure of you as a Christian is not who you are when you gather on Sunday morning with the Lord's people and you sing his praises and you open up his Bible and you actually mark in it, maybe take sermon notes and stick it somewhere in your Bible and there's about a year of them in there, stuck in there somewhere. That's not the measure of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The true measure is when you hit the storm. The true measure is when that battle that rages, when that Satan is prowling and is scheming and it confronts you, that's the true measure. And that's what Josh Hamilton was trying to say. You can't boil it down to that night, that moment, the storm. You've got to back it up. Because backing it up is what defines what kind of person you're going to be in that storm. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, listen, you're vulnerable. You got a storm awaiting you. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. The spirit, I know, Peter. I know. I know your spirit, Peter. I know it's willing. The spirit that says, never would I disown you. I know, Peter. But I'm telling you this, the body's weak. The body's weak. You think you're standing firm? Then take heed lest you fall. So Jesus gives them that warning, but the way the consequences all unfold. But what about Jesus? If we we can look at the consequences of prayerlessness, what about the reward of prayerfulness? Jesus goes to the cross. He takes all the beatings, the scourgings, the mockings, and he gladly goes to the cross and bears the weight of our sin. God's wrath poured out on him so that we could know life. And so Jesus continues down the path that God had called him to live. And so in one sense, it just might seem to, all their cowardice and disloyalty might seem to ruin the story. But in another sense, can we look at it this way? That's actually what gives the story meaning. Meaning. Because why did Jesus die? Because of our disloyalty. Because of our cowardice. Because of vulnerabilities that we actually allow to become sins in our lives or temptations that we actually cave into and walk down that path. Because we, who can say, oh, I want to follow you, Lord, can easily walk away from him. That's why Jesus died. So that we might have life. But as we focus in on this story for a second week, I want us just think about for a minute how how could have the story turned out. Let's put again again. Let's put it aside that Jesus told them they were going to do these things. Let's pay close attention to his his uh, strategy. Watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. Spirit's willing, body's weak. What would have happened if they would have yielded themselves in the way that Jesus did? But we've got to apply that to our lives. What lies ahead for us? We read through First Peter. You got the whole Bible that really lays this out for us. The storms are out there. Satan wants to do his work. He's prowling. He's trying to devour. He wants to take someone down. He's scheming right now. Every one of us have vulnerabilities. We've been saved out of something, but if we're not careful, we can be lured back into it. Idols that have been crushed in our lives can once again be brought to life by cultivating words or thoughts desires in our hearts. All those things can happen. Some of you might even be steeped in it now. But that battle is there. And Jesus says there is a way that you can prepare for it. Watch and pray. Why? That you may not fall into temptation. Want to fall in temptation? Then don't pray. Don't want to fall in temptation? Then pray. We can just reduce it down to that why because you may think you want to stand firm but your body is weak and so we all have to pay attention to that jesus not only died for our sins he wants us to escape sin as we await his soon return and so following up 1 corinthians 10:12 where it says if any of you think you're standing firm you be careful lest you fall We have 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And there's no temptation, but such as is common to man, even our sympathetic high priest. Anyone who's walked the face of this earth, the things you're up against, we're all up against them together. And Jesus says, or Paul writes to the church at Corinth there and says that God will provide a way of escape. So whatever it is that we're up against, Satan, all his strategies, principles and powers, rulers of darkness, our own vulnerabilities, past life. We know too much. We might feel led back into some of these sins. All of that, the Lord gives us a way of escape. And so we've got the word being poured into us. We've got so many things that we could look at as far as strategies. But I want us to focus on this one this morning. Watch and Pray. Watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. Prayer is our preparation in the calm of life so that when the battle rages, the storm, we are prepared. And so Jesus would be calling us today too. He would say this to us. You're all vulnerable. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. Watch and pray, God will give you a way of escape. Let's pray together. Lord, we we ask that you would meet us in a special way this morning. Holy Spirit, we prayed that in your mercy, you would do a work in our lives. So wherever there is darkness, would you please bring light? Wherever there's hardness, Lord, in your mercy, would you soften us? Help us to receive. Lord, pound these truths into our lives so that we can be faithful in following you to the very end. And Lord, there are some in here this morning who need an extra measure of your mercy because they're steeped in it. Lord, please, in your mercy, in your mercy, help them to walk in newness of life. So Lord, we give our lives to you and just want to ask each one of you to continue praying and then our worship team will lead us in a closing song.
0: Uh, So what a wonderful reminder of the powerful tool that we've been given by the Lord to be able to prepare our hearts for the hardships in life. You know, it's not a question of, of if we'll experience a storm or a hardship, it's a question of when. And uh, many of you in storms of life right now, some just coming out of one, or some about to head into one, and what a timely reminder to be um, be reminded that we, need, that we need to be prepared in prayer so that we can see Jesus and his promises through that hardship and through that trial and be uh, counted among the faithful. And it's so easy, you know, when it's easy. Um, but it's hard when it's hard. I know that sounds profound, but but it's it's easy. But when it when it's hard, you know, that's when that's when we are tempted to forget the promises and the strength that God has for us. So, Dr. David, thank you so much for that reminder. And uh, what a powerful yeah! Thank you. <clears throat> hey we don't want anybody to leave from here if uh, without an invitation if you don't know and haven't experienced the love of christ personally it's very very simple god made it so easy Um, he said there's nothing that we can do to earn that relationship with him in fact all of our righteousness all of the good deeds or the good things that we could ever do they just fall short in fact he says they're like filthy rags before him Because of sin in our life, we uh, have been deemed or we have become unrighteous. And we can't dwell with a holy God because he is perfect, he is holy, just, righteous. But he made a way for that to happen and he himself laid his life down so that we could be reconciled to him. And all he asks, or all he tells us that we need to do in order to come into relationship with him is confess that he is lord and believe in our heart that he is the savior the risen savior from the dead and our sins will be forgiven past present and future and you can begin a wonderful relationship with him so if you haven't done that it's it's as simple as a prayer lord you're right i'm wrong i confess my sin to you i am a sinner i am in need of a savior. Thank you for the work that you did for me on the cross that I might be reconciled to my creator, to my maker. If you pray that in your heart, the Lord says, um, today is the day of salvation. And he says, never will I leave you or forsake you. He becomes, again, your father and leads you in a wonderful life of transformation and purpose. If you have any questions about that, you can come and talk to us. There's always prayer at the cross and um, or you can talk to one of the pastors or ushers and we'd love to give you more information. Let us close in prayer and then we'll dismiss. Lord, thank you so much, God, for your faithfulness to us. We read in your word, Lord, that even when we are unfaithful, even when we are um, failing in the watching and praying, Lord, you are still faithful and gracious. And even those disciples who fled because they had not prepared their hearts, they had not um, set up a guard for their hearts through prayer and through anticipation, Uh, You were still faithful to them, Lord. And we just think of Peter's restoration um, to fellowship and to ministry and the way that you used him, not much after um, he failed, not only in his test to watch and pray, but also in his test to not be ashamed of you. Um, You raised him up and you restored him. And thank you, Lord, for restoring us when we do fall short. Lord, we don't want to learn the hard way. We want We want to learn through the examples in your word, so help us to apply what we hear to our hearts and walk in wisdom so that when those trials come, when they do come, uh, we'll be prepared, Lord. And we'll be able to bear witness to your faithfulness and glory not only in our own hearts as a result of having been prepared, but to the lives of those that are looking in and wondering, wow, how how could you withstand, how could you stand in this trial? And we can say it's all about Jesus. So thank you, Lord for giving us that that tool and that resource of prayer to come to you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be mindful of that as we go out, watching and praying, Lord, praying for one another, praying for our families and for um, the church family and the team that's in Israel. Help us to remember, Lord, uh, so that we can always be mindful of that. We give you thanks and uh, just pray that you would uh, go before us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast.